Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Seattle Sports Union Podcast. Uh, this is Matt, that awesome duck that uh, Abraham <laughs> likes to make fun of. And uh, he's not here tonight, but we do have Brian, the Soul Man Solak, and a special guest, Pat Dillon. Brian, you want to introduce our guest? Yes, Pat Dillon is the the all-time greatest broadcaster of Northwest League, and I would say of all minor league baseball, of our own Everett Aquasox. Welcome, Pat, to the show. Well, thank you very much. That's quite the introduction. I hope I can live up to it. <laughs> you will. <laughs> um, a couple, a few years ago, we got to interview, and you, you were in the the Frog Tracks. Long story short, but for our listeners, do you mind giving us like a little, like a quick brief bio of your career? How did you become a broadcaster? Yeah, well, um, back when I was a student at the University of Washington, I got the idea. Uh, the Mariners ran this promotion called Budweiser Fantasy Play-by-Play. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be fun to go down there and check it out? And it was even more fun and a better experience than I had originally thought. You, you walk in there, they give you the same game notes that the broadcasters have. And you go to the press level and you walk into a booth and they have a dry erase board with a defense there. And you do an inning of a, uh, it's like a TV broadcast. And then they would give you the, cassette at the end of the broadcast that you did so I did it a couple of times and it was like I don't know back then like 1990 1991 it was I don't know 35 bucks to do it and I got the idea I was like I I, I want to keep doing this but I don't want to keep spending the 35 bucks so uh, I've got a tape recorder did my own research bought a ticket sat in the 300 level and just did play by play into a tape recorder more so as fun it's kind of like baseball karaoke for a while. And then after maybe a couple of years of doing it, I got the idea that, you know, maybe I could, I could do this for a living. And uh, there was one moment, there was a car dealership down in the South End where uh, uh, Dave Niehaus was uh, broadcasting live there. It was, I think it was like Wayne Cody's show, one of those Cairo shows back in the, in the early 90s. Uh, before KJ, I really hit the scene, went down there. And so there's Niehaus. I walked right up and I asked him, you know, Dave, what would you do if you were me? And he said, well, you know, there's some of these minor league clubs around here. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll give it a shot, put together a tape. And I sent out two tapes. I sent one to Bellingham and I sent one to Everett. So Everett had a broadcaster, Mark Aucott, who uh, now does some PA work for us. He does a bunch of broadcasting stuff in the area. Uh, but it just so happened that the Bellingham broadcaster, a guy by the name of Rick Turner, he had taken a job, uh, I think it was like professional indoor soccer. So he was gone. So when I sent my tape and my letter to Jerry Walker, the opening had just happened. And Jerry had a mountain of tapes sent in unsolicited, like, like mine from other uh, would-be broadcasters. And uh, the, the story Jerry told me was, you know, he knew he needed to hire somebody. And so he, you know, I don't think he particularly relished having to find a new broadcaster, but he had a lot of applicants. So he'd drive around in his car, he'd be at home or what have you. He'd pop in the tapes and he's like, no, no, no. And then he got to my tape and he said, all right, I don't think I need to go any further. So <laughs> despite the fact that I had never, nice. I had no on-air experience. I, yeah. I had no radio experience. I didn't really have any journalistic experience. I could get you from the first pitch to the last out uh, in my own 
you know, kind of rudimentary way, but uh, yeah, you know, it was, it threw me into the fire and, you know, that first year was a learning experience and I, I figured it out and here I am. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Really, really cool. Gives, gives me, I me gives me like kind of goosebumps. So thank you. Well, yeah. And here you are over 2000 experiences later, 2000 games later. Um, we had a moment of, Moment of uh, standing ovation for you at, at a game earlier this season. Uh, you know, how, how did that? Uh, did, you, did you enjoy the support from the fans? That that's that's really nice. Uh, uh, I, I I love people. I, I love our fans, and you know that kind of recognition is is very humbling. Uh, you know, when I first started out, I didn't know that you know I'd still be doing this. You know, twenty six, twenty seven years later, and. You know, who knows how long it's going to keep going. I hope for, for a long time uh, uh, hereafter. But, uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's a milestone. I remember when I got to 1,000, and that was 14 years, which is a long time, and doing it in a 76-game season. And then it, it, it probably would have happened last year had it not been the 2,000, that is, had it not been for the, the COVID year in 2020. Yeah. But, but, but to get there and – you know, then you start thinking about, well, yeah, gee, wouldn't, wouldn't 2,500 be pretty cool or, you know, you know, what, how about 30 seasons? So, you know, once you, once you get up into that territory, it has been a long time, but I, I, I'm so grateful to work for an ownership group that uh, appreciates and values radio and, uh, you know, being in the position where I can be the person that tells the story throughout the season and, and, and follows the club and, and reflects the excitement and makes the broadcast interesting. And the, the fact that you guys and other people uh, like to listen and, and enjoy and the feedback that we get, um, that's, that's enough for me. Then I, I, I know that, that we're doing our job. Absolutely. We, I'd tw- I'm going to cut to the 20, tw- <laughs> sorry, Matt, I don't mean to interrupt, but I want to talk about the, briefly about the 2022 season what do you what do you, what were your thoughts going into the season and or what are your current thoughts of how the team's doing well um as we record this uh, the team last night snapped a six game losing streak so that was a good thing um you know still hanging on the periphery a lot of talent on this club uh some of it has moved on most notably to Elby Barte on to the Cincinnati Reds organization and uh, he's off to a pretty good start. He had a two home run game there uh, last week with his new club, the Dayton Dragons. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's all about development. And we saw it last year with the immense amount of talent that was on the club at the beginning of the season. Yeah. You know, George Kirby, Matt Brash, Julio Rodriguez at all. And then it didn't take very long for those guys and pretty much the entire starting lineup and the entire pitching rotation to get moved up to double A and uh, which is great. That's what the Mariners are trying to do. And so, uh, you know, in terms of wins and losses, I mean, if we can win more than we lose, the Aquasage can win more than they lose. And I, I say we just from the standpoint of, you know, being an employee of the team and, and you know, wanting to put on a good show and former uh, great Aquasage trainer, Spider Webb, used to say when we talk about, you know, winning and losing, he'd always say, yeah, Winning is always better than the alternative, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but this, this year's club, uh, you know, a little bit below 500 right now, but, but still a chance, still a good opportunity um, coming into the day today in the second half, two games under 500 
um, three games under 500, I think it was in, in the first half. So six games out, we got, you know, five, six weeks to go in the season, got a, a couple of big series coming up on the next homestand against two teams who um, are ahead of the Aqua Sox in the standings right now, Spokane and Vancouver. So, um, you know, uh, finish up this series in Tri-City and then come back at the end of the month for, for two consecutive homestands in August and, you know, win a couple of series and, and get right back into the thick of things. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're coming into the home stretch now. But uh, to answer your question, yeah, there's been a lot of talent on this club. Uh, I don't really know what I expected at the beginning of the season. You can't really measure them against um, other teams uh, with players that you don't really know until you actually get out there and, and, and play them. And, um, you know, until everybody plays everybody, you really don't know. Uh, you you kind of know what you have, but you don't know what they have until you get familiar. But uh, it, it's been a great season. It really has. Yeah, we've seen we've seen some great players this year, definitely. Um, back to your, your comment about radio, I wanted to segue a little bit into um, the future here. Uh, talk about going forward, uh, you know, at least pre-pandemic, the plan was for the miners to expand the TV coverage. And I know that they're, they have, they have it in Eugene. They have it in, I think they have it in Hillsboro. They have it in a couple other, a couple other, you know, of the cities in the, on the, uh, in the Northwest league. Um, I assume at some point there are plans to to bring it to Everett down the road here, and I was curious if you if you were uh, had your eye on on being part of any kind of you know boy you know maybe take you know switching and do some innings here and there on the on the TV broadcast if possible. Oh, um, I well, I I think that uh, we likely will get MILB TV, and uh, MILB TV is a simulcast. So okay. it would be the, that, that's, that's how it goes. So Maybe, they, so my only teams don't have like a TV side, a radio side. It's whoever the radio okay. broadcaster is. They'll just uh, uh, pipe in that, okay. that play by play. And then, you know, with a, with a mind to, okay, you know, now people are actually watching this uh, to, to make it radio friendly broadcast and a TV friendly broadcast at the same time. And uh, uh, there are great examples in this league of broadcasters who do it well. And, you know, certainly, you know, Mark Curto down at Tacoma does a, a sensational mm -hmm. job and they have, they're set up with the cameras and all the angles and the replays. Uh, you know, w once we get it, and I think maybe minor league baseball or, or, really in this case uh, major league baseball might mandate that that we get it or everybody get it uh, it's going to happen i'd say it's probably a better than 50 percent chance that we'll get it next year but mm -hmm. i i can't confirm but it, it's exciting it's just another way that we can promote ourselves and you know you look at all the uh, the mariners miners account and all the the uh, highlights that they're able to capture and people see it over and over again. And um, I could imagine that that could help us sell a few tickets. <laughs> yeah. It's fun to be able to turn on and, and watch like the travelers, you know, I, I, yeah. I wouldn't normally, I'd be able to like, I'd have to, I'd have to look online the next day at the box score and see, you know, how, how somebody who would, you know, had left the, the Aqua Sox and gone up a level and, and find out how they're doing as a traveler. Um, but now I can actually, tune in and watch them. So I, I, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to spread the club, you know, make it more popular and, and get it out to more people. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to it. I got my fingers crossed. <laughs> right on. Um, I, I want to skip back to the 2010 season. Aqua Sox win the championship. 
tell us a little bit about the 2010 season. I mean, that had to be a thrill for you to announce that. It was great. Uh, and thank goodness we have one, right? Yeah. <laughs> to, to go through. I mean, that's, that's one thing you, you stay in this business long enough and you, you know, if you root for the individuals and, and the teams to, to have success and we've had some teams that have gotten so close, especially in the, the early part of the last decade. Um, but yeah, 2010 was great. Uh, got off to a great start. That was the first year of the split season format in uh, short season, a uh, baseball. And, um, uh, they did that partially because of the success that the, the Giants affiliate had had uh, over the last, like they had gone like three of the last four years and they were winning like 55 out of 76 games every year and just basically smoking the field. So, um, wow. so it was, it was actually the split season was suggested by um, our former general manager, Brian Sloan and got everybody in the league to buy into it. So uh, team got off to a great start. I think they were 27 to 11 in the first half and then just kind of cruised the finish line and uh, beat Vancouver in the first round and then uh, played a best of three against Spokane, lost game one, uh, came back uh, game two, and I think it was a one run game. Uh, I think Indians left a bunch of guys on base and just kind of barely got across the line there. And then uh, the winner take all game three and Nevin Sharpley hit a home run early. And then I think it was the bottom of the fifth inning. The Aqua Sox batted around, scored five runs, and it was a six nothing lead. And uh, then it was just counting the outs down the stretch and it was over. And it was it was just the, the culmination of a real fun season that that team what what allowed that team to have success and sustain success was pitching. And I, I believe it was the only time in the Northwest League that um, an Aqua Sox team has ever led the league in ERA, considering, mm -hmm. you know, at that time playing 38 games in that, in that ballpark with the short dimensions. And I think the ERA was 3.22. And, and Rich Dorman was the pitching coach that year. He's now the pitching coach down at Oregon State, and he had been an Aqua Sox pitcher uh, eight years before on the, on the 2002 staff, another team that went to the postseason had Ryan Roland Smith was on that in that staff as well. But uh, um, uh, Jose Moreno was the manager, great guy, uh, just, you know, it's, it was a it was a professional group of hitters, Kevin Mayhew, um, Evan Sharpley, who uh, played baseball and football at uh, Notre Dame, Kevin Rivers, uh, not drafted free agent guy had a had a terrific season. So, uh, but and then there were uh, players and pitchers who were called up during the season. But uh, that team just kept reloading and uh, had had the best pitcher, starting pitcher in the league that year, Anthony Fernandez. So, you know, it 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 all came together. There were some teams I think during the regular season that were as good or maybe. Um, a little bit better. Uh, another team that comes to mind was the 2016 team last year of, uh, of Rob Mumau uh, as the manager and that uh, Eric Falia and, and all those guys. And they, they got close, lost two to one in the winner take all uh, game three of the championship series. And, you know, that, that could have gone either way. And, you know, something happens there and we're, we're talking about how great the 2016 team was, but uh, grateful just to have the, the one championship 
And so uh, because of the job that those guys did and, and because they won, um, I'm lucky enough to have a championship ring and um, I wear it as much as I can because I'm, 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 I'm proud of, and I'm proud Boy. to have been associated with, uh, with what they were able to do. And it's just an experience that I'll never forget. Nice. Do you have the ring on you right now? I don't have it on me <laughs> okay. right now. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, you, you will never see it off my finger at when I'm working. At okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fair I, enough. I, I, I have some honeydew stuff I've got to do. I was uh, doing some touch up paint in our kitchen. Ah. So, you know, I had to, I had to take it off. Of that. <laughs> Fair enough. Under, yep. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, the, the other, well, the other, it would have been, I mean, even, even cooler with the 20, 2016 team was that we had the uh, the game in the in the um, I guess it was Safeco Field at the time. Oh, that was amazing. That was that was tremendous. That was nice. that was that blew my mind. That was really that was really fun. I'll tell you something about that. So um, we would have played the first game of that division series against Spokane at home, and as you remember, it was rained out. Yeah. So we were putting our heads together and figuring out what to do. And there were some Mariners officials that were there that night, just happened to be there. And also um, some folks, uh, the higher ups with the Spokane Indians. So the right people were there to be able to figure out what to do. So rain out, uh, you know, the season has to end on a certain date. So what are we going to do? Well, they decided that the next night we go to Spokane and play game one there. And then, the 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 day after that um we wasn't like the fair in spokane starting field wasn't like the fair in spokane starting so they couldn't hold the hold the the games there anymore yeah and then i think we had we had some stadium uh conflicts too we wound up i think it was uh i think it was a wednesday night and then thursday spokane friday safeco i think saturday was off um, maybe, I don't, maybe there was an off day in between. I can't remember, but then we, I know that, uh, that Sunday was game one of the championship series against Eugene. So it was home rain out, break down the gear, go, go to Spokane, set it up, do the game, break down the gear, go back to the hotel, get on the bus, go straight to Safeco field, walk in, set the gear up, do the game, break it all down. And then, uh, uh, clinch the, uh, the uh, division series there. Matt Festa actually was the starting pitcher in that game at, yeah. at Safeco Field and uh, uh, beat the Indians and uh, went back home and uh, game one of the series against the Emeralds and then broke the gear down again and got on the bus and and went down to Eugene and, and finished out the series down there. So that, that, that was a fun time. And just to be able to do one game in that ballpark from the broadcast booth was yeah. just uh, uh, a really fun experience. Uh, remember, uh, Felix Hernandez had made a, a rehab start for us that year. And remember his, I think it was his Bentley that was parked in, uh, in the, the player's parking lot. You guys know where that is. And so, uh, um, you know, being up there in that booth, it was like, you know, it was like driving a car like that, like driving a Rolls, yeah. like, like driving a, a, a Bentley and just the sight lines and the, the atmosphere. And uh, I was in there, I was thinking, you know, I, I could really get used to coming here. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I had wished that I'd been able to soak it all in a little bit more, but, you know, you get there, you got to get set up, get a pregame show together, get an interview, get, just get ready to, to go on the air. So um, I think I, I took it in a little bit, but I, I wish I could have stretched it out a little bit more. Yeah. It really was the perfect storm then that happened that rolled in. Yeah, indeed. Because it turned out with a great game in Safeco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I remember sorry, that game getting rained out. That was that was I was like I was all bummed, and then it turned into Safeco. I was like, oh, all right, cool, no problem. <laughs> that was cool, good memory. Um, which brings us to le- legendary MLB announcer Vince Scully recently passed away, and Matt and I know he plays a huge part role in your life. He's a huge influence. Would you care to talk about a little bit about Vince Scully and what he meant to you? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, growing, I grew up in Santa Barbara, California, and the Dodgers had a, a radio affiliate in town, uh, AM 1250 KTMS. And so the games were always on in my house when I was growing up. And my mother, uh, was the baseball fan in the family and introduced me to the game. And, uh, she had, uh, she'd gr- grown up in, uh, the, the, uh, the inland empire area of California. And so, uh, uh, she had gone to see the Dodgers when they, the year that they moved West in 1958 and, uh, saw a game at the Coliseum. And, uh, she had grown up where she had grown up street. She had grown up before the Dodgers even came West. Uh, there was an older, uh, uh, boy on her street that was a big baseball fan and kind of, uh, got her up to speed with major league baseball and the Brooklyn Dodgers. And then, you know, lo and behold, they, they moved to Los Angeles. So, uh, you know, Vince Scully was, he, he, he was everywhere, um, ever present. And during baseball season, it was just the perfect mix of a new fan base and, uh, the, the power of radio. And so that, that's, that's how he started. And then it, it came into my household when I was a kid, the first season I remember following from beginning to end was 1974 when the Dodgers went up going to the world series and, uh, great team. Uh, Steve Garvey was the MVP. Uh, they had traded, uh, the previous off season 73, they had traded Claude Steen to the, uh, left-handed pitcher Claude Steen, to the Astros for Jimmy Wynn. And he had a big comeback season. And, and I think they were, when they finished, they think they won over a hundred games and beat the pirates in the, uh, uh, national league championship series and lost to Oakland. That was the third straight world series that Oakland won. But, uh, that, that sort of drew me in. And then back in those days, the only, there were maybe, maybe 25 games on TV the entire season for the Dodgers. It would be a big deal if they had a three game weekend series in Cincinnati, their breads were their biggest rival back then. And, you know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon, all the games were on, on channel 11 KTTV. So the game was on TV, never miss it. But if you wanted to follow the Dodgers, it was on the radio. And, and I, I think, you know, back in those days, following baseball in some ways might be, might've been easier then than it is now, because now we have the internet, we have so many sources and so many ways to analyze everything. And when I was a kid, all I needed was my street and Smith's baseball annual and the sports page and baseball cards. If you were a baseball card collector as a kid and and when I was growing up in the 70s, uh, you had a bunch of cards. You you knew a lot of the players. You, you Well, you certainly knew most of the players. You knew, uh, you know, many of the starting lineups. If, you know, I, I, you know, followed a National League team, so I could tell you who all the, I could tell you all the Cincinnati Reds, 
Um, I could tell you all the San Diego Padres and the San Francisco Giants, but with a baseball card, it's an instant snapshot. You can tell who is a good player. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, I mean, I, I, I felt I really had all the gaps filled in as a fan, uh, anything that I needed to know I had access to. And then, you know, I, I love the Dodgers. I, I lived and died in what they did on a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, 74, they won it uh, and lost in the World Series. 75, the Reds finished 20 games in front of the Dodgers. Um, 76, I think it was about 10 games, but the Reds won the World Series back-to-back, -back, uh, 75, 76. 77, Dodgers got off to a real quick start, um, went to the uh, World Series, lost to the Yankees. They lost to them again in 1978. They were under 500 in 1979. 1980, they uh, uh, were tied with the Astros at the end of the regular season. They played a one-game playoff on a Monday that I attended in person and they lost. Oh, oh. And, then, and then finally in 1981, in spite of the the strike and the split season. And that was the year that of Fernando mania, the Dodgers won the first half. They were, I think they were a hat when they, when everybody went on strike and they determined that was going to be the end of the first half. I think they had like a half game lead or a one game lead. Uh, Cincinnati actually that year had the best record in baseball because they had a pretty strong second half, but not as good as Houston. And so they were on the outside looking in, which people, Reds fans probably still don't like that to this day, <laughs> but, 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 you know, through, through all of that, um, you know, Vince Scully was there. I don't think I realized it at the time uh, that, you know, I think a lot of people uh, thought about this too, after his passing that, you know, Vinny was my favorite Dodger of them all. He was, he was a constant, the, his his brilliance is in his simplicity. There's there was nothing complicated about Vinny. He he uh, uh, he is such a uh, wonderful person. Uh, you know, did so much for baseball and obviously enjoyed what 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 he did. That's the thing about this business is that uh, broadcasting baseball is pretty fun, and no, nobody in this business wants to retire. <laughs> <laughs> until they <laughs> ripped the microphone out of your hand. Uh, so when it came time for me to decide what I wanted to do for a living, and when I started broadcasting games in the 300 level or at the Budweiser play-by-play, and I, I tell this to young people who ask me, you know, hey, I'd like to be a broadcaster. What do you think I should do? And I just tell them to do what I did. And I think that anybody who knows the game grew up exposed to baseball kind of in the same way that I've outlined to you guys, you already know what a good broadcast sounds like. Mm -hmm. So uh, instead of, you know, starting at, at, you know, zero, you, when you are starting, you're really probably about 90%. So you're, you're 90% to be like, maybe you want, you need to get to 98% for you to feel like you're a competent broadcaster, but you're already starting with an immense amount of knowledge. And so, yeah, there's a lot of the themes and motifs and habits and little phrases here and there that, that Vince Scully utilized that, 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 that I'll use. Um, and there's things that Dave Niehaus uh, did that, that I, I use. And, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to say I, I'm going to steal from the best. If I think that sounds better, I'm going to use it. I've heard other broadcasters say that they listen to other broadcasters so they can, you know, find a, find a new way of doing it. Always feel like you're getting better. Uh, but uh, uh, final thing on Vin, uh, I had a chance to meet him and he could not have been more gracious. This was back in 1998. It was the the second year of interleague play. Okay. And so the Dodgers in early June of that year were coming to the kingdom uh, to play the Mariners. And so I, I started thinking about this. I was looking at the schedule and I thought, well, you know, if I wrote Vin a, a letter, um, you know, maybe I can make arrangements to go down there and meet him. Yeah. You know, if he hadn't responded, I certainly wouldn't have held it against him. Uh, but he did respond. And I think that uh, uh, Bob Vasey was the uh, owner of the team back then. And his uh, his father, Buzzy Vasey, the uh, vice president, general manager of the Brooklyn L.A. Dodgers, uh, et cetera. Uh, turned out Bob told me that at the time, uh, Vin and Buzzy would talk on the phone once a week. So I think that. You know, one of them said, you know, maybe Buzzy said like, hey, Ben, uh, be on the lookout. Uh, the young fellow that works for Bob and Everett, he's going to he sent you a letter. So he wants to meet you. So I think something like that. <laughs> because I, I sent the letter. Uh, they were I mean, the Dodgers are on a road trip. Uh, they were in Pittsburgh. And so uh, the day that they got back, I think they had a game and the response that Vin sent to my uh, question about setting up a meeting with him. It was, it was postmarked the day they got back. So um, oh. I still have, I still have that letter. I did have the envelope with, you know, my name written on it, you know, uh, Mr. Pat Dillon, director of broadcasting, Everett Office Sox. It's, uh, you know, it's something I'll, I'll, I'll cherish forever, but uh, went, went down to the kingdom was uh, June 6th. Uh, it was a Saturday radio only uh, game. So, uh, you know, we just made arrangements for me to come down there two hours before the game. And we just sat there and visited Oh, and just talked about a bunch of stuff. Uh, they had the Dodgers had just uh, traded Hideo Nomo to the Mets. Mm. And so uh, Dave Malicki was who they got from the Mets. And he started that game and he wasn't doing very well. Um, where Edgar had a double, uh, Junior had a home run later in the game. And, and that was special because, um, so after pregame, uh, you know, I was going to go down, he had left me seats and I, you know, he had to get ready to go on the air. So I'm getting ready to go down there. And he said, uh, you know, I'm going to be off in the, I think it was the fourth and fifth inning. Would you like to come back up? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I'd love to come back up. So we, so we, I go down to the, the seats, which are right back of the first base dugout. And I'm sitting mm -hmm. with all the Dodger families, kids and wives, et cetera. So I'm sitting there and, you know, getting friendly with them. And uh, I think this must've been like the bottom of the fourth. I could go to retro sheet and pull the box score, but anyway, so junior comes up and he hits a foul ball. It goes to Sam Mejias in the coaching box and I'm in the second row. And so just instinctively I stand up and Sam Mejias turns around to try to find somebody to throw the ball to. And so he throws it to me. So I, so I had this ball. <laughs> and then nice. when I went back up to the, uh, to the press level, I thought, well, I'm going to have Vinny sign this ball. And so I handed it to, I, I went up there and I was like, it's like, Hey, it's uh, the seats are great. Thank you. And, and by the way, I got a foul ball. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I handed it to him to sign it. And, and I remember him, him commenting, he said like, this ball is filthy. And it was, I think they'd probably, you know, played with it for three or four innings. I, I don't know, but I, I've got that in my, my, uh, my keepsake case over here. And the, the signatures now starting to fade over time since it was 24 years ago. But uh, uh, yeah, we, we, we talked about a bunch of stuff. He gave me some advice, but it was just, you know, it, I can't really tell you anything specific. I'd have to sit here and think about it, but you know, he, he knew why I wanted to meet him and he treated me like I was his son. That's, that's, that's how I felt. And, uh, you know, they, they, people say that you don't want to meet your heroes because they will (laughs) disappoint you. And, you know, Ben could not have, uh, more exceeded my expectations uh, than he did, and just a just a class, wonderful, talented uh, institution, not just in in Southern California, but throughout all of baseball, and uh, all of the messages that people put out on social media. Uh, there is nobody in this world that would ever say anything against Ben Scully. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's He's the standard to, to try to live up to. And, and I, again, I, I, I finally figured out that I wanted to do this job because I wanted to be just like him. Yeah, I can't imagine Vin disappointing in, in any way yeah. whatsoever. I'm real jealous that you got that time to spend with him, absolutely. I grew up listening to him as well. And, yeah, he, he meant the world to me growing up as well. You know, he was baseball. That's, Indeed. That's that's all he was. He was baseball to me. Um. Yeah. The world the world's a little darker today, without him around. What can I say? Nope. <clears throat> I want to switch out. <laughs> let's, no, let's get a little bit of a brighter note because <laughs> I'm kind of bummed and we're missing uh, Ben. <laughs> um. Earlier in the year, we interviewed Jeff Nelson, former Mariner pitcher. He talked about the ghosts of the Yankee Stadium. Last week, I talked to Tom Hutler, and he told me some ghosts of the kingdom. Does Pat Dillon have any – is there any ghosts in Memorial Stadium slash Funko Field for Pat Dillon over the years? Oh, boy, I don't know how to answer that. I, I don't think so. I haven't seen any apparitions floating by. <laughs> Um, there are quarters of the ballpark that I haven't ventured into in a long time, like underneath the grandstand where all the peanuts and spill pop fall. (laughs) uh, um, Yeah, I don't, there's, there's nothing. I don't think there's any, if you're getting at, you know, any kind of superstition or any of that, uh, uh, that kind of stuff. I, 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 I think I understand your question. Did you ever, ever get to meet like Gaylord Perry or any of the baseball veterans that came in, you know, signed autographs or their books or. Um, I, let's see, I did not, I met Gaylord another time. It wasn't when he was at the ballpark. And it, generally when we have, we had Brett Boone come out, I yeah. think it was a couple of years oh, ago. Yeah. Um, I'm working usually and what we would, will always throw out to, you know, any big league, uh, player, especially a hall of fame or anybody really, um, you know, would you like to come on the air? We'll just throw it out there. And we've done that in the past. Um, Raleigh Fingers was was hanging out in the press box. This is probably had to be like 15 years ago. And I remember talking to him just briefly between innings uh, that he 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 wasn't aware that his son had pitched there. 
his son Jason Fingers had pitched oh. uh, in a game. I think it was multiple games, but uh, Jason was involved in uh, a game that was the biggest comeback in Aqua Sox history, which was on July 5th of 2000. And that's the story that I dust off. I try to tell it in a different way, but uh, the other the other day, the Aqua Sox found themselves down nine nothing. So, uh, uh, well, I think it's time to talk about the biggest comeback in uh, Aqua Sox history, which was it was tremendous comeback. Um, they they were down nine nothing after four innings. I think it was thirteen to five at the seventh inning stretch, and then were down thirteen to ten in the ninth. Got four in the ninth and won it. Won it wow. thirteen. But uh, but Jason Fingers, he he was on at the end. And he was on in the ninth inning when the when the Aqua Sox won the game. So uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm um, trying to think if there's anybody else. When Jack Zarensic was the general manager, um, he'd like to hang out in the press box. So I had him on a couple of times. And uh, Pedro Grifol, who was the farm director back in the in the 2000s, now he's been a coach for a long time with Kansas City, a bench coach. He managed us for three years back in the 2000s. So um, when when Pedro was a farm director, he'd like, he'd, he'd show up and I, I, I asked him to come on the air and it was great. It was a lot of fun, gave us a lot of insight. And then every time he showed up, he just assumed like, uh, all right, I'm here. Uh, what time we go on the air? So that was, that was fun. That was, fun. That, was that was a lot of fun. Uh, as, as Jerry made an appearance, Jerry DePoto. I'm sure, I think he's been there. Uh, I, I can't remember seeing him. Uh, oh yeah, I mean he's 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 been up there. I'm well, sure. I'm sure he's been. I was just wondering if he made an appearance in your in your press box or if he, I mean, you know, come by and talk. Yeah, to you. Uh, I have I haven't seen him up there. Not to say that he he wasn't up there, uh, but you know, at, at this stage, you know, he could he, he'd probably if I asked him to come on the air, he'd probably do it. But he'd probably you know, at best, he's indifferent to it. <laughs> Not like you know, he, he 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 wants to come on our air and you know potentially be asked uh uncomfortable questions not that i would do that but why'd you, you know, get rid of our shortstop what do you think of this guy you know why do you do this right yeah yeah he, he could do without that because i got right Luis on. castillo in return that's why i got your short start rid of your shortstop oh okay. there you go all right yeah well, i guess it is about the mariners yeah makes sense <laughs> <laughs> it was a shame, shame to lose nueve but you know it, the return made sense and he'll do well for cincinnati Yep. We should yeah. Win. Yep. Indeed. And, and yeah, go, speaking to that real fast, so that you know, I, like you, like you pointed out earlier, you you know, I I constantly have friends who I invite to the ballpark and and show them the team, and they get all excited and they'll turn to me and go, okay, you know, how good are the Aqua Sox this year? And I go, you know, it's a complicated question because it's it's really more about the individual players developing. It's not necessarily. I mean, yeah, it's great if the team wins, like you were saying, uh, but it's it, it you know, it's more about the individual players and how they how they grow. And, and, and a lot of people just goes right over their head. <laughs> just like, I want to see my team win. I don't care. Right. You know? Yeah. That's fair. But, I, you know, they, and, the, and, you know, you can still be successful. You look what uh, San Francisco has done in this league uh, with Eugene Emeralds. And oh, yeah. They keep moving guys up and they just keep reloading. They get, they get guys from San Jose. Uh, and, you know, Eugene has been the best team in this league uh, this year. Uh, I think, you know, one thing that the Mariners can look at, uh, and I'll just tell you two players, they made the trade earlier this year. Uh, San Francisco was a little bit short. So um, 
you know, Donnie Walton, who had, uh, uh, I don't know what he's going by now, Donovan or Donnie, I think he switched back and forth anyway. He was with, he was Don, he was Donnie when he was with the yeah. Sox in 2016. And so the giant, the giants needed a player like Donnie Walton. And so it cost them Prelander Baroa, mm -hmm. who is, uh, you know, a young pitcher who, uh, is a 95 to hundred guy. And he started off with Eugene, made four starts, came to the office Sox, progressed, and now he's in double A. And Bryce Miller, same way. Uh, Bryce Miller developed when he was in college at Texas A&M. He wasn't even a starter until his final year. Mariners took a shot at him in the fourth round. He gained a bunch of velocity. He became a 95 to 100 guy, and now he's in double A. And uh, I remember Jack Hyatt, who was the uh, farm director for a long time. He played in the big leagues with the Giants, but he was the Giants farm director for a super long time. And, and one thing that I remember that he said is he said, Hey, look, if you can play in, if you can play in double A, you can play in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. So to be able to have, to have developed those two guys to go to double A. And I believe both of them have had success uh, in double A with Arkansas. So, you know, who knows, maybe, I mean, maybe those guys will be knocking on the door. It, it's uh, just, I think at this time of the year, since, you know, that we are kind of getting into the home stretch, you think about, with the, the, the cadre of talent that this organization has, you know, what's, uh, what's Tacoma going to look like next year? You know, what's, what's double A Arkansas going to look like next year? We'll look at uh, the Modesto roster and think of, you know, guys on that roster who could be here with the Aqua Sox uh, next season. Yeah. So it's exciting. Yeah. We might have three consecutive years with the number one rated prospect in the system uh, here in Everett. How about uh, that? Wouldn't that be exciting? That would be exciting. See Harry Ford uh, here next year, hopefully. Um, he huh. should at some point be be here, unless we trade him, of course. But, uh, oh, yeah, one other player you, you forgot to mention, with you speaking with the Emeralds, um, Andy Thomas, our catcher. Right. He's now yeah. an Emerald uh, in one of the yeah. deadline deals. Unfortunately, I think uh, they aren't coming back, so we won't see him back this year. Right. Uh, yeah, and I, I keep shocking. I don't know, Andy... So he hadn't played. He went uh, the last series he was with the club was uh, the second to last road trip to Vancouver. And he had, I think it was, he tweaked an oblique uh, in okay. batting practice. So um, I, I had checked, I haven't for a couple of days. So he may have played now at least one game for the Emeralds, but uh, you know, Eddie Thomas fifth round guy and uh, he was the unquestioned leader of the team, uh, according to our uh, Aqua Sox manager, Eric Ferris. And uh, Eric said something interesting about a month ago. He said, uh, you know, you know, Andy Thomas is going to make a name for himself. Uh, Left-handed hitter, uh, draws his fair share of walks, uh, sees a lot of pitches, you know, has some pop. He, he really buys into the dominate the zone philosophy is don't swing at bad pitches. And then when you get a good pitch, hit it hard. But what he also does working with the pitching staff and his catch and throw skills and his blocking skills, he's, he, he's, there's a lot to like about Andy Thomas and um, he, he will, he's going to find his way into some prospect list. I mean, yeah, I think right now in, in any organization. I mean, the Giants are pretty deep right now, but you know, he, he should at least be a top 30 guy. I think we might see that when the uh, baseball America, uh, you know, top 100, top 30 for every team comes out uh, prior to opening day next year. And, you know, who knows Andy Thomas might be in double a somewhere. I think that he'd be a, he'd be a Richmond flying squirrel next year. 
<laughs> um, yeah, we we got to interview him. The guy had so much passion for the game. It was unreal. I mean, from the moment he started speaking, we were like, wow, this guy's awesome. Yeah, shameless shameless self-promotion. We, we have uh, the interview up on our website, clsportsunion.com. Uh, <laughs> and it was in the uh, Frog Tracks, uh, the, uh, the the uh, promotional um, program for the Everett Aqua Sox that you can get. Well, I guess you can't get any more because they only handed out for that, hands, that homestand. But anyway. <laughs> I, I got to ask Pat, what was, you know, it was a short sample size. What was it like broadcasting, watching Julio Rodriguez last year? Oh, it, it was great. Uh, you know, I, I, we fast forwarded to this year after seeing Julio last year, and then we, you know, thought right or wrong that I remember I asked Eric about it on, on opening night, you know, how would you compare and contrast what, you know, Noel B. Marte right now to what Julio was at the same time in, in 2021. And there certainly is a comparison. Um, you know, did we think that Julio was going to go from Class A advanced opening day 2021 to, you know, and basically 11 months later, he's in the big leagues. To the all-star uh, game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the, and there, there was the, the thing that has surprised me is how well he has taken to playing center field. Mm-hmm. He covers a lot of ground. I mean, we knew he was fast, uh, but wow. Um, you know, he, he doesn't seem to take a bad route out there. He's, he's comfortable. He takes control. The one thing offensively for Julio just, I mean, as broadcasters, we're looking through the lens of, you know, basically being a fan and trying to, you know, understand, you know, why guys are good. Julio had the ability, if you throw him a pitch over the plate, he's going to hit it. Mm-hmm. You have a good fastball. Uh, he, you, you really, maybe once in a while, you'll throw the ball past him, but you throw him strikes at your own peril. So that's what he, that is what is taken him to the next level. But he, he now is such a, a thoughtful hitter and everything that he went through at the beginning of the season with, you know, pitches off the plate being called strike threes. And, you know, he handled it with, with class and dignity and, and patience and, you know, every, everything's, everything has paid off for him, but, you know, we knew he was great. Uh, we knew that, you know, he was relatively young for the league and we thought that he wouldn't be around, uh, you know, a whole lot longer, uh, he, he, the first series remember down in Hillsborough, he was okay. And then he just caught fire the first home stand. And, uh, there were a couple of times because of the Olympics, he had to leave, but, uh, it was just a matter of time for him to go up to double A. And then he went there and he raked and destroyed, uh, yeah. you know, and I, I, I think that, uh, you know, once they all got spring training and how he was performing, and then you look what's on the roster, it's, it was like, you know, well, if it's not Julio Rodriguez, uh, who's it going to be? Who are you going to put on the roster besides him? And uh, I just think the the whole situation it was it was apparent after what two weeks of spring training that uh, you know Julio was probably already on the team, and yeah. he just had to continue to to perform. And you know, hey, got off to a slow start in April, but boy, did he turn around in May and, yeah. and, and, and look at him now. So, uh, it, it was, it was a treat. It was a treat to watch Julio for sure. Yeah. And you know, he, he, he forced the issue. He gave Jerry DePoto a, you know, 
a tough choice, and it's a good tough choice to have. I have I have this guy who's too good. He's young. I don't want to rush him, but he's too good to not play. <laughs> so I guess I got to play him. <laughs> right. Now, same way with with Junior in '89. Yeah. He had 19 years old. He was the he was the best outfielder on the team. So you know, it's like you're not you're not winning any championships. So you might as well throw him on there and see what he can do. Definitely, definitely. I, I, I got to ask a personal question. When, when do you, when is Pat, when do you think Pat Dillon will hang up your cleats? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, I, you know, I, I don't have any, any plans. Um, I, I did just given the expansion of our schedule last year, uh, pair my schedule down uh, because as you know, the Northwest league schedule was 76 games and uh, the way that uh, uh my wife and daughter uh, handled that was uh, just when they would start to get tired of me being gone during the season, it would be over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, so now it's, you know, starting opening day was April 8th and we go through September 11th and to, to do every single game is just not realistic just with my situation. And, you know, luckily Steve Willits was there and, um, I, I like to take some credit in being uh, the person that identified Steve's talent and, um, you know, was very excited that he was more than willing to, uh, to, to give it a shot. And I think he's, he's done so much with the opportunity as a radio broadcaster. He's, he's so fun to listen to and he's been a great ambassador for the team. And, uh, you know, it, it allows me to continue to do what I want to do um, which is I do all the home games. And this year I'm, I've done two road series. So I did a series at the end of June in Spokane and then on the second to last road trip uh, up in Vancouver. And so yeah, I'll do something similar to that uh, next year. Uh, but, you know, I, there's, there's no, I'm not thinking like, you know, hey, two years, three years down the road, that's going to be it. Not, nothing like that. So um, I had it like when I got started, I didn't think that I, I, I couldn't have told you that I'd still be in 1995 when I started it in Bellingham. I couldn't tell you that I'd still be doing it in 2022 and, you know, and, and beyond. So, uh, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see how far it goes. God willing. Right. I amen to that. I, I personally, I hope you're around at least to the rest of my life on this on this earth so yeah we we both we both feel the same way but uh you know credit to steve like you said i mean we love steve too steve i am constantly just amazed at the the amount of energy and positive force he brings day in and day out on that on that you know down on the field and with the fans and and you know post game he's there high-fiving fans on the way out the door he is the man i I'm always blown. I'm like, how does he do it every single day at the same, you know, that level of energy? It's, it's impressive. Steve, Steve is intrinsically optimistic. And the thing about his personality is that he lacks cynicism. He is yeah. such a fun guy to be around. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well said, well said. Uh, I got to ask one more personal thing. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you'll say yes. Uh, does, do you do you remember a lot of your Pat Dillon Patton play calls like a home run perhaps or a game winning walk off single? I mean, what why I ask is I'm hoping you'll do like a play by play of one event one event from the past. 
You know, it, well, <sighs> I, I, I don't have any catchphrases. Okay. And, uh, not that I don't want to have them. Nothing has really cropped up. And there was a, uh, there was a book written about baseball broadcasters a um, long time ago. I've got it on my shelf here. It's called Voices of the Game. It was written by Kurt Smith, who was a speech writer for presidents, including uh, President Reagan. And there's a passage in there, um, uh, a testimonial by this broadcaster, Bob Starr, did the Red Sox for a while. I actually listened to Bob Starr when he did the Los Angeles Rams on radio back in the early mm. 80s. And Bob Starr came up with a really good one. He said, uh, you know, like people would ask him, hey, what's your home run call? And, you know, what's what's your catchphrase for this or that? And Bob would say, I don't have one because all the good ones are already taken. <laughs> Fair enough. That's, that's so, so, yeah. So, you know, the, the, the way that I prepare for a broadcast is I, I you know, I do my research and. I fill out the scorebook and I have the commercial reads ready to go. And then the game starts and I just react to what I see. Okay. So, you know, something, something happens and I just follow the play. So that's how, that's, that's how that works. So he, what he's telling you, Brian, is you're not going to get a, a, a one right now, but it's it's more organic. Is that's how his, his style. Well, okay. I mean, I, I'll, you I'll, just I'll want to fake one for you. So, uh, uh, <laughs> grounded foul down the third baseline. Two strikes the count. Swung on, popped up, foul ground, third base side. Brian Soulman coming over. Oh, it's back out of play. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> That's an acceptable answer. Okay. <laughs> um, my, my final question is real quick is um, some a few names, rapid fire. If you can give me like a couple words to describe these guys that have a you've had influence with you in over your years um let's start with dave niehaus i dave niehaus is great the the uh when if if you ever hear me say belted i say belted uh consciously and i do it because of dave niehaus i i think it is the best way to describe a well-hit ball so when you say you know uh, swung on belted or swung on and belted that ball is belted you you know immediately it's like you're sitting in the park you know the ball is struck well you don't know if it's a home run you think it has a chance and so at least the listener on the other end that's what I always appreciated about Dave when he said swung on and belted you sat there by the radio and said go come on go get out of here yeah. <laughs> definitely uh, so yeah uh, 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 love love Dave in the big moments he every call he had to make in a big moment he nailed 100 times out of 100 great broadcaster well said how about former gm brian sloan brian sloan's one of my closest friends in the world uh, uh fantastic uh man family man husband uh, uh baseball executive he's been around the minor leagues uh since i think his first year in welland was 1990 uh, I got a personal relationship with Brian. We, we go back, we work together. Um, he was, he was there. I think he was one of the people that put in a good word for me back in 1997 when, uh, I was lobbying Bob Vasey to, to hire me for the open radio spot. So, uh, I, I owe Brian a lot and, uh, he's, he's a great friend. Nice. We agree. He's nice. good people for sure. Uh, a couple more real quick. 
current general manager Danny Tesloff. Dan, Danny Danny holds everything together. Um, you know, in 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 minor league baseball, there are so many different uh, hats that people wear, and so many demands, and especially during the season. And uh, Danny is cut out for leadership and that sort of herding cats environment. And uh, you know, because of his hard work and the work of our staff uh, that he leads, you know, we're able to you know, pull off big crowds and a good fan experience. And you guys would know that uh, as well or better than, than, than I do. So if you have fun at the ballpark uh, and keep coming back, I think that's, that's the one thing that I hear Danny talk to fans and ask them if they had a good time, that that's, that's what he cares about. And if people are having a good time, um, our, our product is uh, top notch. Absolutely. Uh, last but not least, the iconic, Spider Webb. Oh, and I, another close friend. Um, uh, Spider, when I got hired for, uh, prior to the 98 season, uh, so I was I was with him during the season up until uh, 2013, which is his final year. Uh, we used to always have him on the pregame show on the 4th of July. His birthday is the 4th of July. Uh, just, uh, you know, Florence, South Carolina and Patty, uh, did you get your cold beer? And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we'd be wherever we would be and like to say Vancouver. And, uh, you know, he, he very, very early on uh, treated me like, you know, not like an outsider, but, you know, part of, part of the team. And, you know, I rode the bus all the time back then. So it was, it was a very, it was a family thing, but, uh, you know, I'd be packing up my gear and he'd make sure that there was a plate of food for me in the clubhouse. So I could now get something to eat before we got on the bus and, you know, just all of his stories about, you know, when he first started working for the merit organization in 1979 and some of the managers and some of the players and, you know, he had Edgar and, I think it was 83 and junior and 87 and Mark Langston and, you know, some of the, some of the players that nobody has ever heard of. And, (laughs) you know, he was the trainer when Felix was there and in 03 and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, spider, what, what, what a 35 years as Mm -hmm. the, uh, as the head athletic trainer for the, the Mariners entry into the Northwest league while at the same time being the head athletic trainer at Francis Marion University, his uh, alma mater in uh, in Florence, South Carolina. So uh, wonderful guy. You just reminded me. I, I I talked to Spider on or around his birthday, but it's it's time to to uh, buzz him again and see what's going on in, in Spider's world. Nice. I planned that, by the way, to, to remind <laughs> you to call him. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah he's taking credit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. psychic. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. All right. Well, it's it's reaching that time of the show where we like to do some shout outs and stuff. But first, uh, Pat, we'll, we'll we'll let you go. You, you want to plug uh, plug yourself and your. Uh, you have any social media and stuff you want to uh, shout out or anything? Uh, sure. You know, I um, if you I am on Twitter, so it's at Aquasox Radio. So uh, okay. I'm I'm pretty good at retweeting stuff. Uh, I'm not like early in the season. We'll throw out starting lineups, but I, I like to get out of the way and you know let the Aquasox social media take care of that. I think all that information is is pretty well uh, uh, handled. But if anything earth shattering uh, of importance happens, um, I will let everybody know. So yeah, feel free to follow me uh, at Aquasox Radio, and uh, you know uh, just to thank everybody for listening. 
it's 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 easier now to listen than it than it used to be to run KRKO or on a fifty thousand watt station. Uh, there's also an FM signal. You can listen to the uh, games in the ballpark either on AM thirteen eighty FM ninety five three or on there's a one zero seven one FM. You can also get it. And then the KRKO app is really cool. If you go to the app store and just download the KRKO app, it'll fire up the broadcast immediately. Now it's not in real time. So if you're going to listen on the app, it's sitting in the stands. There's about a seven second delay, but uh, there's some, there's some people that, uh, that are old school that bring their radios mm -hmm. and uh, I, I see them in the crowd. I know oh, who yeah. they are. And, and that's, that's uh that could be intimidating when you're describing something that people are watching. You better get it right. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. Definitely. Um, all right. So then uh, as far as our, uh, my, my, uh, my shout out, I'm, I'm going to give a shout out last night. Uh, Brian and I were lucky enough to attend the Bellingham bells game, uh, game two of their what quarterfinals, I guess it's called. For the or for the North League, they they uh, they they came from behind twice and won. Yeah, uh, in an exciting uh, bottom of our top uh, bottom of the eighth. That's bottom of the eighth. Yeah, and uh, I want to give a shout out to the Bells and wish them luck as they start the semifinal tomorrow. And uh, to Stephanie Morell of the of the GM, uh, she does amazing work. And we even got a chance to say hi to the uh, owner of the. The Bells, who I am blanking his name on right now. Brian, that's talked okay. To him more than I'm I blanking did. his name, but <laughs> all right, Brian. He he appreciated the talking us anyways. Um, that was part of my shout out. I, I just want to give a shout out. Uh, this is a silly shout out, but I appreciate it. A good friend of mine sent me this Julio Rodriguez bobblehead from Arkansas that no one can see except me and Pat. Yeah, but I know <laughs> that's why I'm showing you. And I was going to describe it. So shout out to him. He's a good guy. We, he befriended me over the last year and just got to know him very well. Uh, and his name you, is? His name is Perry Campbell. Uh, father of? Isaiah Campbell. Ah. For, former Aqua Sox pitcher. Now pitching well in Arkansas. And I can't wait to, we all can't wait to watch him climb the ladder. So It was sure fun watching him close games though, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Quite dominating. He's, was, he's Mr. Automatic. He's the he's the Aquasox version of Mariana Rivera. Oh yeah. Well said. Yep. <laughs> well, that's it for the uh, the show. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, we are Seattle Sports Union. You can find us at SeattleSportsUnion.com uh, on Twitter. Uh, we're at Seattle Sports Union, and um, keep listening. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>